Oh, hi, I'm Josh Lacash, and this is Wrong Opinion. I got Jacob Wool here. For those of you that don't know, he's a 22-year-old, and this is what they call him, what the media calls him. They call him a far-right conspiracy theorist, a fraudster, and an internet troll. I think he's a he's an artist. I think he is a a performance artist. And I want you to hear what he has to say about everything that he's involved with. He's he also has a show on censored.tv which is called Man Up. And uh yeah, to get access to the full interview, subscribe to the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash wrong op. But for now you have the first free ten minutes. And uh I think we should just start. Here's wrong opinion with Jacob Wool. I I don't know how to introduce you because I, I, I see your Wikipedia. I don't know if it's fair, if it's a fair description. Are you an American far right conspiracy theorist, fraudster, and internet troll? I don't know. That's that's something for you to say. Well, I would tell you I'm not a big conspiracy guy. I've never really espoused any conspiracy theories, any of the big conspiracy theories, any of the small conspiracy theories. I'm just not into conspiracy theories, frankly. Uh, so I would I would dispute that. But it is what it is. You know, what you have is a situation where big tech and uh, in particular Google and Facebook get to write the history of these things. In the case of Wikipedia, you have, uh, you know, full time George Soros trolls that that manage the Wikipedia pages of conservatives. And uh, it's unfortunate. But uh, what yeah. I would say is that I'm I'm a pundit and I'm a political operative and, uh, you know, by day I do boring lobbying and consulting type work. Right. And by night? And by night I do, you know, political, some would call them stunts. I guess you could use that term, but uh, I call them projects. Yeah, I want to go deeper into that. But before that, let's talk about Nick Fuentes. I think he's uh, pretty interesting. And uh, very, very smart. I mean, it, it's it's for me, I'm 33. It's interesting that you guys, he's 21, you're 22, I think. And uh, you're on another level than where I was when I was your age, just because media and information and how we consume it is completely different. I was more concerned with partying and nightlife and all that because this didn't really exist. And the problems we see today don't weren't as apparent then as they are now. Right, right. It it certainly is easier these days to get attention. I mean, it's an interesting situation from my standpoint, because for my entire adult life and then some, I've been a public figure. I I guess I got my first media attention and Fox Business and all the rest uh, with a financial firm I ran when I was uh, 16 and turning 17. So I've been a public figure as long as I can remember. I've never seen the other side of you know, at least adult life. I've, I've just always been a public figure. And of course, in this day and age, you can either be, you know, a niche figure on the internet. There are people in various niches, whether it be fitness or politics or smaller things. But with the advent of the Trump presidency, there there's no more niche. Uh, politics is no longer a niche. And so what happened with me is, in particular, I was involved in Twitter and I, I would tweet quite a bit. And the president started retweeting me, lo and behold. And so there was a lot of interest of who is this person that the president keeps retweeting? Because at the time, the president would very rarely retweet anyone besides maybe the vice president or Ivanka or someone like that. I was the only kind of outsider that would that would be retweeted 
And uh, it just launched from there. And, and it was, you know, my life in politics expanded at a tremendous rate. How did that start happening? How did Trump start noticing you? Do you have any? Well, I, I would often I would often reply to his tweets and, you know, mention things about the economy in particular. And so he took notice and started retweeting me and uh, and, you know, it sort of went from there. And I went from having a handful of followers on Twitter to having uh, close to 200,000. And then, of course, I was uh, later on in, in 2019 uh, banned, banned for life from Twitter for what they called tactics like the Russians. <laughs> so so why what was there? Uh, what was the specific reason? What was the, the tweet that did it? Well, it wasn't a tweet. It wasn't a particular tweet in my case. In fact, I had been, you know, very, very lucky in terms of the actual tweet by tweet censorship that you hear so much about. I only recall, I think, on one occasion uh, having to delete a tweet, and it was because it, it contained someone's address, like like in very small print in the document that I missed, and, and so they made me delete it. But otherwise, I never had any of those kinds of issues. What they did say uh, was that, and, and this is on the Joe Rogan show, they, they had the CEO and the head of, I think they call it the head of trust and safety, the uh, Indian. Yeah, Vidya something. Right. And she said that I was engaged in tactics like the Russians to, quote unquote, manipulate the conversation. And this, this stemmed from a project which I worked on in 2019 to establish uh, extensive you know, influence operations on the platform. But the difference is between me and the Russians is that I'm an American citizen and I'm allowed to meddle in U.S. politics. I'm allowed to manipulate the conversation, whatever that means. I'm allowed to do it. Right. What, 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 do, you, what do you think that means, manipulate the conversation? Well, it means to change the conversation. I mean, obviously, what I've been able to do with, I mean, I have a flow chart for this. When we decide that we're going to go after Biden or we're going to go after Elizabeth Warren or we're going to go after someone on the left that's gaining a lot of steam very quickly that we feel is dangerous to both our political ideology but also the country, we have a flow chart we follow. And at the beginning of the flowchart are certain steps, in the middle of the flowchart are certain steps, but at the end of the flowchart is what everyone recognizes as a Jacobole operation, which is something that trends on Twitter, whether I'm banned on the platform or not. It was certainly easier to do it when I wasn't banned, but I can still uh, make waves on Twitter when I am banned. Yeah, like and just it, a week ago. Yeah, just a week ago, I, I, was, I was trending on Twitter, in fact. So we follow a flowchart. The flowchart works uh, terribly effectively. Maybe I'll publish the flowchart someday. Uh, people have have published draft versions of this that I sort of sent around in an effort to raise money for th for these efforts from from political donors. But uh, this is something that that works. I mean, we can put on a press conference. Sure, we engage in some showmanship. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I mean, the, the first time that we came out. And we said, before we be begin the press conference, Kylie here is going to lead us in the national anthem. I mean, they, they were stunned. The reporters were standing out there. They were stunned that we were going yeah. to sing the national anthem. And clearly that's that. showmanship, but it works. Right. Is this flow chart? This, it sounds like the flow chart equates to crafting a narrative. It does. It equates to, it equates to crafting a narrative. It equates to that narrative having very particular points. Uh, I am not interested, for instance, in investigating a politician's 
financial wrongdoing or lack thereof. It's something where even if I had a bombshell discovery about a particular congressperson, it's not something that anyone can follow. It's not something that anyone is interested in. It's not something that's going to trend. It's not something that people can interpret. What I am interested in looking at is their personal life. I'm interested in looking at who are they cheating on their wife or their husband or their boyfriend or their girlfriend with. Uh, We saw this with Katie Hill. Our operation against Katie Hill was very effective. It led to her resignation when people learned that she was involved in throuples and threesomes and all sorts of crazy stuff with her staffers and, in fact, was coercing her staffers into engaging in this. Uh, so that's really what I'm interested in. I mean, in, I mean, the only one that did very well in terms of financial was, uh, of course, my uh, taking on of Michael Avenatti. But that's because the fraud was, you know, Madoff level. It was, it was so egregious. It was hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, so that, that's the one exception. Right. Why do you think the other ones? So you had one against Robert Mueller, Elizabeth Warren, and the recent one was Anthony Fauci. Those those never really reached uh, Katie Katie Hill levels, have they? In your opinion? Well, people have different opinions of this. I mean, we certainly are not looking to force anyone to do anything. That's not the mission of our operation. Nor would that probably be legal or ethical. But different outcomes happen. In the case of Fauci, for instance, we had our Fauci press conference and we had our Fauci uh, you know, storm in terms of the publicity. And within two days, Anthony Fauci announced that he was going into quarantine, would be working from home. And we haven't seen much of Fauci since then. He did this little you know, virtual testimony. But the, the days of Fauci standing up at the White House and declaring that the country is going to remain shut down forever are, are over. So I, I look at it, the Fauci operation as a success. Yeah, he was he was there today, but with the face mask and kind of just in the background, he didn't say anything today in today's press conference. So you take credit for that. You take credit for just him, like Trump kind of keeping him out of the loop a little bit. Yes, I think so. I mean, Fauci's the kind of guy that, you know, you want to pump up. Trump understands this, say nice things about him, but don't listen to a word he says. This, this guy is absolutely... Uh, seditious when you talk about what he's recommended, what he's caused. The man's put 40 million people out of work. The latest numbers say 36. I think it's closer to 40 million. Uh, but either way, it's it's the worst economy since the Great Depression. And it wasn't caused by the virus. This is something right. that's, that's not a matter of debate. It's an objective truth. Now, if we had a situation where, you know, like the plague, a virus swept through and it killed one in four people and the economy happened to go down, well, we could say the virus caused an economic slowdown. But that's not what happened. Viruses killed a handful of people. Most of those people were not, uh, they were non-entities in terms of the economy anyway. They were senior citizens or severely disabled people. They were non-entities in terms of, yeah, in terms of production, they were non-entities for the most part. And so so the virus didn't cause a, a depression. That's clear. What caused the depression is draconian, unprecedented shutdown measures which have their root in the in the Bush administration being recommended, in fact, by a high schooler who did a science fair project. And a high schooler recommended that in the event of a contagious disease, you just shut down the entire world. Um, there's no evidence it's worked. There's no evidence it's slowed the spread. It's probably caused more deaths, uh, certainly caused economic calamity. But uh, 
this is this is a problem. So that's it. That's the free. That's the free version of this podcast. Trust me, you don't want to miss the rest. Go to patreon.com/slash wrong op. But for now, that's it. Bye.